um, Rocky just said, turn the blue mic off before you walk off. Great stuff. We'll have communion at the end after the message today. And uh, I want to share today a message called The Cross and the Kingdom. The Cross and the Kingdom. We'll be doing a series, and the series has been about the area of desires, dreams, and destiny. And uh, we looked at the area of destiny and the common misunderstandings people have is that somehow there's some force forces everything to work according to a certain pattern and you have no control over it. Sometimes people have this idea, well, God is sovereign, God's in charge of everything, so whatever happens, God's to blame for it, and we can't really do much about that. Now, these are very wrong concepts. In fact, although God has planned a life and things for us to accomplish, He gives within it a great deal of creativity for us to partner with Him rather than just be robots and slaves. And so last week, uh, we looked at the area of desires and destiny. In Psalm 37, verse 4, we found, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So clearly, it's God's joy to give us things that are in our heart, the things we desire. And we found that uh, in discovering God's purpose for your life, one of the keys to it are what are the desires that you have in your heart? What sorts of deep longings, deep desires, what gifts do you have, what passions do you have, what yearnings do you have? What is it that fires you up and gets you really going? This is most likely connected to how God has wired you for what you're called to do with your life. And most people, if they begin to discover what they really desire and are passionate about and begin to do it, their whole life comes alive. Uh, we found also God not just leads us by the desires of our heart, but also he will speak and give revelation. So he speaks to us. For example, I love teaching. And so I got to teach in a high school until one day I was mowing the lawns and God spoke to me. God interrupted my plans and my desires and all the things I was thinking about. And he spoke about calling me into pastoral ministry. It was quite a clear voice from heaven. It was God speaking, saying, I know you've set the course out where you're going, but I've got something higher for you you wouldn't have thought about. And so God, by revelation, can enlarge our thinking so we think out of the box and higher than we would normally think. So one guide to direction in your life are the desires and uh, that you have in your heart, the dreams, the passions and gifts. Another is listening to God and having God speak to you. But you have to operate out of both. Because as many of you would realize, God doesn't talk to you all the time. It doesn't seem so anyway. Most of us, it takes, there's a bit of time between God saying one thing and saying the next. It's not like he tells you all the things you have to do. He gives room for you within that to do it. And then the third part of uh, finding direction in our life is applying the principles of wisdom. In other words, God doesn't want to tell you everything. He wants you to learn wisdom from the Word of God and apply yourself so you run your life according to sound principles. So you're not always leading a miracle all the time. Not good to run your business needing a miracle all the time. You need to run it on wisdom. So you need to build your marriage on wisdom. We need to build our life around wisdom, which is found in the principles of God. And God says, if you lack wisdom, you don't know what to do or how to handle the issues of life, come to him. He gives freely wisdom for every situation in life, and he gives it freely. But, this is in James, it tells us that in chapter 1, it says, let ask in faith, not doubting. If you doubt, you don't get anything. So we need to be confident that all that we need for life, God makes available. And if I'm not sure what to do, I need to ask him sincerely. And as I ask, believe he will give me the insights I need. 
Many people pray and ask, but they don't persevere in believing God will give them the answer they need. And we'll talk about that in another session. I'll talk about answered prayer. So, uh, so that's how God guides us. Now, within, it, within the will of God, God gives us great freedom to take initiative. And right through the Bible, initiative was always encouraged. And uh, so I want to go and, and to talk about what I call a key issue. I have read lots of motivational material, and uh, I found it's all very good, very positive. But there's one thing runs right through it, and that is, it's all about me. And it's about me getting ahead. There's no place for Christ and his kingdom or the cross at all. So today what I want to do is, just as we're looking at the area of desires, dreams, and destinies, I want to just highlight for you the place the cross has in all of this. Otherwise, you'll get very disappointed because you won't understand why God isn't doing what you expect, or, and he seems to be frustrating you, or you're waiting around and nothing much is happening, or you get out there and then find after you've done all these things that your life is quite messy and you've got no idea why. And uh, I want to, so I want you to have a look with me in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. And I want to just talk a little bit about the kingdom of self, the kingdom of self. We're all part of that kingdom of self. We've all got a part of us that need, likes to be a bit selfish. want the biggest bit. That looks good. I'll have a second one. We've all got that part that likes to be a bit selfish, haven't we? And uh, tell, it, tell the person next to you, it's you he's talking about. I'm, okay. I'm just not like that. I'm so sweet and loving, I would never be like that. The reality is, I, <laughs> I grieve over how selfish I am at times. Okay, then, notice this. It says... In verse 1 says, now, you, now he's talking about how we've been changed by coming into a relationship with Christ. Now you, he made alive who are dead in trespasses and sins. So we once had, were cut off from God. We had, because of sin and because of errors and doing our own thing, we're cut off from God completely. Now I want you to notice the lifestyle of a person cut off from God. There are many verses on it. I'll just use this one. And it says, in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the year, that spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And we all, whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of flesh and mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as others. So what he's essentially saying is that the world is governed by a certain principle that operates. And he said the course of the world. That's the world, the age of this world, the order of this world, and it operates a certain way. It's quite interesting to notice this. He points out very clearly, the world operates a certain way, and it's, it's governed by the principle of self-interest. What's in this for me? What do I get out of this? And so you find, if you look behind a lot of the political dealings with nations, where a generosity often has an agenda behind it, and it's all about advancing me. And so you find often help and aid that's given to nations looks like it's very kind, but behind it, actually, there are strings attached, and the true agenda is it's being used to get some nation ahead or to gain influence. So the principle of the world, and it doesn't take you much to figure this one out. Children are pretty selfish as they grow up. It's all about me, you know. They learn that when they're one and two, and it's hard to get it out of them the rest of their life, isn't it, eh? Me! No! I do it! And so you find there's this whole thing as children grow. This, it's all about me and my world. And somehow in your life, you need to learn it's not all about you. And much of the modern child training centers the whole child training around the child and its needs. 
What folly is that? That's the course of the world. It's not the course of God. It's not the course of the kingdom. And it produces a terrible fruit in people's lives. So you notice it says, I want you to see two things here, that the world is governed or runs on a principle of self-interest. What's in this for me? What do I get out of it? And that's how it thinks. And almost most decisions are made around how can I advance myself? What can I get? How can I get ahead? How can I advance myself? It's not entirely all wrong. But however, notice it says that there's a spirit that is at work in that thinking. So self-centered thinking is governed by a spiritual power. And when you go and you look at people and how they run their lives, you see most of them are pretty self-centered and self-directed and, and basically they run their life around the principle of what's in this for me and if it's nothing in it for me, then I'm not going to do it. So there is a spirit behind that. That's called the course of this world and there's a spiritual power. And there's a reason that spiritual power is there. And notice it says here that spirit power that works in the children of disobedience. That word works means to energize. So self-centered thinking is energized by demonic powers. So this is not how God designed man. We were never designed to operate that way. This is the current fallen condition of the world. Now, if you go through the education system, you'll find there's a whole generation coming up now, and their whole frame of thinking is, what is in this for me? What can I get out of this? How can I use you to get ahead? I'll connect with you. You can help me. Then I'll get ahead. Then I'll leave you. And all of that kind of thinking is totally contrary to the principles of building a sound and successful life according to kingdom principles. It just doesn't work. What it does is it uses people to promote oneself. And when you use people to promote yourself, you actually increase self-centeredness in your life. You don't tap into the supply God had for you, and you hurt people on the way. It's horrendous. People get hurt and used, and people say, well, I feel used. And uh, so we have to deal with that kind of stuff. So, so where did this culture uh, uh, originate? You find it's found very clearly in the Garden of Eden. So it's found in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, it actually began earlier than that, but let's just see it manifest in, King, in Genesis chapter 3. So you notice that Adam and Eve had everything they could want, and they were placed in a garden. They were given room and responsibility, given great privileges. They were given great opportunity. But God said, I want you to respect my right to rule creation by not eating the fruit of that tree. Everything else you can have, that one you can't have. It's like saying, don't touch the wall, you know, something in us wants to touch it. <laughs> so that was the deal. Now, you notice how the devil came. It says the devil came like a serpent. In verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, hey, don't worry, you won't die if you eat that fruit. Now notice this, notice this. God knows in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God. You'll know good and evil. And when the woman saw it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate and gave to her husband with her, and he ate, and then their eyes were opened. They changed. They saw things they were never intended to see. Now, I want you to notice that the devil was the originator of this whole self-centered process of thinking. It's found in Ezekiel where he said, uh, even though I'm an archangel, I will arise, I will ascend, I will exalt my throne above the throne of, the, of God. In other words, he refused to accept his place in the kingdom of God and self-interest, he sought to advance himself. Now here he is in the garden doing the same thing. And notice the thinking. Here's the thinking in here. 
you can't trust God to supply your needs. If you're going to get ahead, you've got to look out for number one. You've got to look after yourself. So don't worry about what God says. Don't worry about him talking about sin and consequences. That's all a lot of nonsense. You're not going to die. Here's the deal. God is holding out. You can't trust him with your provision for life. You need to rise up and begin to act in your own interests. You need to look after number one. This is the core of the four. So the core of the four is not just about sins and some bad things. It's actually about the whole self-centered way of life, rejecting God's right to rule. Instead, the kingdom of self emerges. I will rule myself. Now, this is where it originated. Now, when you come to Christ, it doesn't mean necessarily that automatically all of that changes. In fact, when people come to Christ, they've come into experience of new life, but the problem is most of the way we think and run our life and operate our relationships and everything are still shaped by the old model of thinking paradigms we were in. So it takes a while to shift and start to understand the principles of the kingdom of God that lead to happy life, relationships, and fulfillment. So really, the core of it was, what's in this for me? How do I get ahead? You can't trust God. It's all about me and my interests. That is the core of the four. Now, you understand that getting saved is not just about getting your sins and forgiven and getting back to heaven. Getting saved is about changing the core of your being from being a self-centered person to being a love-centered person where you can reflect what God is like. His kingdom is a kingdom of loving and serving, of advancing the interests of others. That's his kingdom. So, selfish ambition always is a gateway for demonic spirits. Let's have a look in, Genesis, uh, in James chapter 3. So whenever people don't address this issue, they find themselves with all kinds of problems in their life. So you can be a Christian, still have havoc in your life, as we've so often observed. In, in James chapter 3, verse 13 through to verse 16. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct his works that are done in meekness of wisdom. Now, you notice here it is. But if you have bitter envying and self-seeking, it's self, self-centeredness, selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast, don't lie against the truth, that does not come from heaven. It does not come from above. Rather, the self-centered way of life, what's in it for me, it's all about me, what can I get, how can you get me here? It says it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Very simple. When you go down that route... No matter how nice it looks, it opens the door for demons. For where envy and self-seeking exists. Envy, that means we look what others have and we want what others have. You ever look at the advertising, advertising works on that principle. You see other people are happy, the, the, the uh, conclusion is, if you want to be happy, you buy that. And so we begin to want what others have. And then we begin to do things financially that create stress in our lives. Have a look at the world economic system. It's stressed out because people, out of envy, just ignored basic success principles and finances. You spend more than you've got coming in, then you're going to have some trouble. It just doesn't make sense, doesn't it, really? Okay, notice here, uh, it says that confusion and every evil thing are there. So the fruit of selfish ambition is confusion and all kinds of activity. And the core of it is that I believe that I can rule my life better than God can. And so I'm going to run it my way rather than run it God's way. 
Okay? Now have a think about, for example, uh, in Genesis 13, Abraham and Lot. Now Abraham was told by God, see this whole land, I'm going to give you the whole land. Now, did he have the whole land? No, he didn't. But God said, I'm going to give it to you. So he had a word from God. He had a promise from God. So he had his nephew Lot come along with him. And in the end, they were so blessed and everyone was being blessed. And then there came a quarrel between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen because there was just so many, uh, they'd been so blessed, there were now conflict over resources. So the, uh, Abraham, notice how Abraham deals with it. He says, let's have no conflict. Let's not have conflict. Conflict comes in James, it says, when you desire but don't have, and then you fight for it. So he said, let's have no conflict. He's a man of peace. So he said, here's what it is. Now, this is this. This, is, this shows you him operating in kingdom principle. He says, see, you choose what you'd like, and you can have that, and I'll have what's left. And Lot, not understanding kingdom principles, looks down, and what looks best to him, he takes that and ends up destroying his whole future. If he'd walked in the principles of honor, he'd say something like this, Abraham, that's very kind of you, but I realize I'm blessed because of the blessing of God on you. I will defer and let you make the choice and show me what you'd like me to do. In other words, he did not operate out of kingdom. He just operated out what's best for me. And it looked good, but it cost him his marriage, his family. It cost him his character, cost him his finances, cost him his reputation. So the self-centered way of life looks good, seems right to a man, but ends up impoverished in various ways. Any idea? It was all quiet today, goodness me. <laughs> Have a look at Matthew chapter 16, and you'll see again how Jesus exposes that behind the self-centered way of life, there is a demonic power. Now, you have a look with me. We referred to this the other day, verse 21 in Matthew 16. So Jesus spoke, and from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. So notice what he's saying. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'll rise from the dead. That's quite a good deal, isn't it, really? If you focus on rising from the dead. But here's the thing. Peter, as he heard Jesus say that, immediately his mind goes into overload, what will happen to me? And so this is what he says. He said, pity yourself, Lord. He began to rebuke Peter, took talk, talk Jesus aside, said, now listen, don't you go talking cross. Don't you go talking about death. Don't you go talking about suffering. Be it far from you, Lord, or pity yourself, Lord. This shall not happen to you. And notice, Behind it, there's an agenda, because if Jesus dies, what's going to happen to Peter? This whole, his whole plan of being next to Jesus in the kingdom is going to be ruined. So he looks at Jesus' clear statement of the will of God, and it's just foreign to him. Because when we walk in the ways of God, they just are crazy compared to the self-centered way of life. You know, the, the, in the world, you get... Grab as much as you can, save as much as you can, hold on to as much as you can, you'll get ahead. The kingdom of God, it says, learn how to sow, learn how to give, learn how to be generous, and it'll be given to you. Oh, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. So for the natural man, thinking from a natural perspective, he will run his life totally different to the spiritual man who thinks from a kingdom perspective. Our challenge is, as believers, to shift and trust God and begin to learn to live out of kingdom principles. Okay then, so notice what Jesus says to him straight away. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Now notice what Peter is doing is he's advancing his own agenda and Jesus says what's behind that is demonic. 
And it's a stumbling stone to me because it's so easy to go down that route. So he said, if I listen to you, if I listen to your good plans about saving myself and come up with an alternative plan, I will miss totally why I'm here. This was a major destiny question for Jesus. I know what I'm called to do, and if you're trying to tell me to feel sorry for myself and back up, you are a stumbling block to me. When you set out to seek God and to walk with God, there will be times when people near to you will quite oppose the decisions you make. They will be just appalling to them because their frame of reference is completely different to yours. You would think that uh, when I left uh, school teaching and became a Christian school teacher, Pioneer Christian School, that people would be very happy with that. They were not happy. The ones around me, uh, family, were not happy at me doing this. When I got called into pastoring, they were not happy about me pastoring. Not happy at all. Their perspective was, this goes against how we see life ought to be done. We're not thinking from a, a kingdom of God and eternal perspective. Any idea? Okay. So anyone here? So you all know someone who has this kind of issue, don't you? Eh? So what Jesus did was he revealed that the cross is at the core of the way of life of the kingdom of God. That when you walk to uh, fulfill the things of the kingdom of God, there'll be time when the purpose of God crosses your will, clashes with your will, and you have to choose whether you'll trust God and yield to a bigger plan or whether you'll just do what you want. Now, was this difficult for Jesus? Yes, it was difficult for Jesus. We read in Matthew chapter 27, and uh, it's found also in Luke 22, it said, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed like this, and he said, Father, if it's at all possible, let this depart from me. I don't want to die. So how did he feel about suffering and death? I don't want to do it. He said, Father, strengthen me. If this is the only way that you can accomplish your purpose, then not my will, but your will be done. So you find there, right in the Garden of Gethsemane, a huge clash over the desire to save self and to look after self with embracing the will of God, which at times involves suffering and death. And you'll find every one of us who walk with God, there'll be times when we face painful situations and everything in you wants to back up. And then it's a matter of, well, whose will, whose kingdom will prevail? Will I save myself or will I trust God and yield to him and go through a painful experience trusting on the other side of it is his resurrection life? Because crosses, it never ends at the cross. The other side is resurrection. We want the resurrection without the cross. But there isn't any way to get that. So we have found, like, and I've noticed, in, 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 like, say, for example, a principle in the world. In the world, it will tell you, you can have it now, pay for it later. In God, it never works that way. In God, it's exactly the opposite. You pay now, and the blessings come later. It's just so totally different. So in God's kingdom... It works completely different to the world or secular or self-centered kingdom. And we have to understand that. So, you're getting really quiet. So the cross then is a key to walking in the kingdom of God. We can't escape the cross. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, if anyone's going to follow me, anyone going to follow me, he will have to deal with the issue of self, take up his personal cross, face the challenges that will come into his life through following me, and then follow me. So, how about this? We want a Christianity which is blessed 
and goods and everything's great, but we keep the cross out of it. But there's no way you can keep the cross out of it. The cross is central to the life of discipleship. What does that mean? We don't have to go and hang on a cross like Jesus. He's done all of that for us. What we have to do is face that the cross is where my will and my ambition and my desires come into conflict with what God is revealing he wants me to do, and I surrender and yield and do what he wants me to do. Anyone who's been a Christian for some years would understand this is a part of walking with God. If any man, any man wants to follow me, he must deny self, take up the cross, and come follow me. And that doesn't mean you don't, you let go all your desires and your dreams and all the things that you've got in your heart, and now there's nothing left, there's just, no, it's not that at all. What he's saying is, there'll come a point where your ambitions will conflict with God's plan, and you need to learn to yield. The idea? So, here's the thing. If I just get you all revved up about desires and dreams and destiny, get you all excited, and now you'll be getting up all kinds of ideas and coming up with all sorts of things, and away you go, and you're on your track now. See, the problem with that is, is it's all driven by ego and self. So uh, just because you've got a lot of desires and got a lot of dreams doesn't mean that God really wants you to go down that route. There might be a, a cost, a disastrous cost of fulfilling it. What we have to do is apply wisdom and revelation to it, and that may mean I have to yield up some things I like in order to live the life God called me to live. It's not either or, it's just that there is an embracing of the principle of the cross. The cross is central to the kingdom of God. Listen, God so loved the world he gave. Notice the cross is whole core of the kingdom of God. The father loved and he released his son, sacrificed his son. The son uh, loved the father, he sacrificed his life. The Holy Spirit yielded his, uh, his life to make this all happen. This is the core of the Godhead, is sacrificial self-sacrifice uh, self, uh, um, uh, uh, and giving and generously serving. That's the core of it. Think about it. Jesus is uh, having his last mess, a meeting with his disciples, and he, he bows down, and he washes their feet. And of course, everyone's saying, well, you're the Lord, you're the big shot, you shouldn't be doing the foot washing stuff. He says, no, 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 you don't understand the kingdom. In the kingdom, if you want to be great, you have to serve. If you won't let me engage you like this, then you haven't got what it takes to, to advance the kingdom. Foot washing is part of the nature of God. Jesus said, I do what the Father shows me I'm doing. He said, so when Jesus washed feet, it was the Father washing feet. Imagine God washing your feet. It's hard to understand. How can someone so big and powerful descend to such things? Because it's the nature of the kingdom. It's not about me. It's about love being manifest. Now, you see, you've got to understand that our whole culture, including much of the church culture, is filled with self-centered, self-advancing, self-promoting agendas. And we've got to come to the decision that this is not biblical Christianity, that if it has no cross in it anywhere, and just a historical cross of Jesus, something is missing in the core of the message. The cross is the power of God to salvation. So when I yield at the cross, that's when God's power is released to me. So what are some things that we can yield and let go at the cross? Now, I'm, just going to, I'm not going to look all these verses up. I'll just give them to you to have a think about. But... Um, the Bible says that Jesus was crucified on the tree. And in the Bible, there are exactly seven references to what's called an oak tree. The word oak or terebinth means to be a strong strength, to have strength, to be mighty. 
And so I went through the Bible and I began to look at every reference to an oak tree in the Old Testament. And when they refer to the oak tree, usually something happened at the oak tree. And the oak tree is quite a picture prophetically for us of the cross. It's the tree where our will intersects with the will of God and we yield and things leave our life and we receive something from God. The core of it is I must trust if I let go, God will fill me up. If I yield to him, he will supply for me. If I surrender to him, he will give to me. It's an issue of trust. So here's a few of the things. I want to throw them all out for you, and, uh, and uh, I'll just list them, and then we'll finish up this message. Okay, here's number one. Number one in Genesis 35 verse 4, the first mention of the oak tree was the place where idols were buried. An idol is a substitute for God. So one of the things that the cross does is it's the place where we make a decision to let go the substitutes for God. If your career is a substitute for God, you need to come and, and put this thing before the cross. If you're, if you're, you know, I remember I had a, uh, I used to love old cars. Man, I was into V8s big time. I still love them. Turn the head every time I hear a V8. I love V8s. I love it. It's still in me. I'm a petrol head, see? And uh, I love it. But, it's, but there was a time, and I had an old V8, a 1934 V8. Boy, it was a great beast. And, uh, but it was a beast. And God said, it's actually an idol. And he said, you've got to deal with your idol. Because at this season in your life, this is not going to help you and you're serving me, nor in your marriage, nor your family, nor your finances. It needs to go. So I had to bury the idol. And it just meant going to the cross. It meant kneeling down saying, God, I'm so sorry. I've let this be the substitute for you. Lord, I embrace your plan for my life. I release it and let it go. I said, God, if you, you know, uh, you just bring someone in. I'm not even going to try and sell it. Just bring someone to me. Within four days, someone walked in. I said, I heard you've got a 34 Ford V8. Can I buy it? I said, yes, you can. One condition. Everything i got with it goes. Oh, really? So just throw out, my pro- throw out a price. He threw a price. It's gone. And it was just like that. I've never regretted it. But there's a place of bearing idols, things that have got in our heart that are substitutes for God. Uh, there's, uh, the, in Genesis 35 verse 8, the cross is also the place of grieving over disappointments and losses. Our world is full of disappointment and loss and broken dreams and shattered expectations and, and there's a real pain. And when you have pain in your heart from those things, you have to come to the cross. It, it's a, it takes something from you to admit that I'm hurt and broken and grieving and in pain. It actually crosses our world because we really want to look good. But when you come to the cross, it really deals a blow to self to just say, God, actually, I'm hurt, I'm broken, I'm grieving, I feel deeply disappointed, and release those disappointments at the cross, weep them out, and receive his joy, his strength as, as, a, as a, a replacement. Third thing about the, uh, the oak tree is in 1 Chronicles 10, verse 12, it was where uh, Saul was buried. And Saul had great potential, but he failed because he just followed his own will, his own way. Uh, he, he, he just did what he wanted to do. So the cross is also the place to bury our failures. We all have failures. But if you don't deal with your failures, then they just continue to remain a source of eroding confidence and strength in you. We need to take our failures to the Lord. So we come to the cross and admit, actually, I really blew it. It's really hard to say I'm sorry sometimes. It comes against your self-will. It comes against your pride. But that's what the cross is about. I come and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry I have failed. I really blew it. I really said things I shouldn't have said. I was acting hasty. Lord, and I bring and bury my failures at the cross. You'll never bring them up again if I bring them at the cross. The cross is core to success in the kingdom. 
See, here's another re- place that uh, um, in 1 Samuel 17 verse 9, and uh, it's the place, uh, the valley of Elah, meaning the valley of the oak tree, was where David slew Goliath. See, now what was the problem with Goliath? Goliath was a giant that intimidated everyone. Everyone was afraid. And so what they do, they all looked after themselves and fled. David slew the giant of fear. So it's a place of facing and overcoming our fears and trying to preserve our life. See, so there are sometimes God will want you to do things and you're afraid to do them. So when you come to the cross, we just admit, God, I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what will happen to me. It's all about me. And so you begin to yield your fears to the cross and draw strength from him. So the cross is the place we can deal with our fears and bury our fears and slay our fears. Here's another thing. In 2 Samuel 18 verse 19, uh, Absalom was slain and he was in, in the oak tree. Now, Absalom was a man full of pride, but he was full of, of ambition. And what Absalom did was this. I've known people over the years do this to me. It's a very, 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 very painful thing, but it's just part of the walk with God. And you've got to handle it. And that is Absalom stood by the gate and he said, oh, well, what's your trouble? He said, oh, man, that's a big problem, isn't it? Well, it's too bad the king hasn't really got a provision for this. But, you know, if I was king, then I could actually deal with this for you. So what he was doing was he was promoting himself and speaking erosively of King David. And eventually he created a huge sedition in the, uh, in the nation of Israel, and many lost their lives as a result of it. So, uh, so Absalom speaks then of pride and hidden agendas uh, trying to promote yourself. Now, there are times we've just got to come to the cross and say, Jesus, I need to deal. I've been trying to really get ahead. And you see, get this. If you intend to be a Christian leader of any kind and don't deal with ambition, selfish ambition, you will use God's people to further your ambition. This is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about me loving people and helping God, them fulfill what God called them to do not about me using people to fulfill my vision and ambition. And there's a huge challenge, I think, facing the, the church in the, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Western world at the moment over models of church and style of church that actually uses people to fulfill something that actually doesn't activate and release people to fulfill the call of God in their life. And I believe this is one major issue. I've had many contentions with various leaders in different places over this kind of thing. And uh, I believe that God is calling uh, the church to prepare people for their destiny, not to use people to build some great thing. You know, does that make sense to you? And so there is a point where our hidden agendas need to come to the cross. Uh, over the years, uh, and particularly now it's a lot easier because I've got very strong prophetic people around me and I've got people, uh, a relational team where we can talk openly about things, but hidden agendas don't ever, they're not really a big problem now because the prophetic people around me can spot them a mile off, just speak, hey, this is what's going on there. And so that's wonderful. It's very secure to have that. But uh, hidden agendas are where a person comes to you pretending to be something and uh, says all the nice words and the right things, but actually what they have is a, a, a plan to use you to get somewhere. Now, this is the spirit of the world. And when, when we do that, that's deceptive and it betrays relationships. We should have no agendas except to honor Christ, to honor his kingdom. And that means I've got to bring my selfish agendas just to the cross. It doesn't mean God, I've got to trust God to sort them out. I've got to trust God to work them out. Will I apply myself? Yes, I'll apply myself. However, I've got to trust that I'm not going to ever have to use people to get where I want to get. I can actually love and serve people and God will help me get where I need to get. 
Okay, then. So, and the last couple then, in Joshua 24, 26, the cross was the place where Joshua covenanted that they would be the people of God. So the cross, we come and we make commitment. God, I will be your child. You will be my God, and I will honor you with my life. You see, selfish ambition has only a very temporary perspective. It's what can I do to get me ahead, whereas covenant relationship with God, I'm looking at eternity. The life is just going to go by real quick, and then there's eternity. I want to build right while I'm building my life. Build my marriage right, family right, business right, finances right. And the last place in Judges 6.11, guess what? Gideon encountered God at the oak tree. And God spoke to him and said, you're not going to be doing this threshing wheat anymore. I have a destiny that's much greater than that. So it was at the place of the cross, surrender to the plan of God, that he discovered what God had for him. And even though he was afraid, he rose and he touched a whole nation. So the cross is core to the kingdom of God. There's no advance of the kingdom of God without embracing the principle of the cross in our life. There are times when it's wonderful. There are times when we have to come on our knees and just repent. Now, I'll just give you one last thing just to finish up, and then we'll just have our time of communion. Every one of us has to deal with self-centeredness. I wish I could help you. I'd love you to come up and I'll pray for you, but it's not going to work because you go back and be just as selfish. Uh, it's not going to work that way. Self, it's the principle that runs our life, and it only comes when we come to the cross. So we're going to have communion in just a moment. Let me give you just a, a last thing. Uh, most of you would know the parable of the, uh, the talents. Now get this, and this is a tremendous insight to the kingdom of God. One of them got five, and you notice what he's told, go out and trade. Now notice what? He's given passions, abilities, giftings, and God says, just go out and make something happen. So God gave him total initiative how to do it. He went and he profited because he wanted to be a blessing to his master. And notice when he comes back, the master comes back, he said, your talents have got this. So in other words, he was continually thinking about how he could be productive with what he had. The one with two did the same thing. Now the one with one, which is the majority of people, did this. He buried the talent. Now this is it. Listen to this. He buried the talent because he was looking after himself and had no heart for the master's interests to go ahead. And the master said, oh really? Well, you're wicked. You have a negative, bad influence. You're very lazy. All you're seeking to do is look out for yourself. And I'll take from you what you had, that opportunity you had, and it'll be taken from you, given to the one who had five. Now this, this, is, this is a very clear, this is a parable of the kingdom that God gives us gifts and talents, expects us to take lots of initiative, risks, and to try things out. But self-centeredness will always frustrate us from advancing in the kingdom of heaven until we actually come to the cross and say, God, you gave your life for me. All of my life is in your hands. I'm trusting you that if I walk with you and follow your ways, you in turn will bless every aspect of my life. And even if I don't see it, I still trust you. Amen? Okay, let's just bring the communion out now and just have the communion. I want us just to open our heart to the Lord. Father, we just thank you. We just take the bread and take the cup right now. Thanks very much. Just take the bread, take the cup in your hands. Take the bread and take the cup. Peter said, Lord, don't you go to the cross. It's going to mess up all my plans to get ahead. 
Jesus, don't you go to the cross? It's going to mess up our ministry here. What about all the miracles? Jesus, don't you go to the cross? We've just got a great thing going here. I, I don't, really don't want you to go to the cross. I don't want you to mess it up for us. Jesus said, get behind me. He said, because I know what my father's called me to do. The Bible says, for the joy ahead of him, he endured the cross. Most of us, when we think of the cross, think of something you've got to give up. But Jesus didn't think that. He thought that the joy ahead, I've got blessing out the other side. I've got resurrection life. I've got to place where I overcome everything. So when he went to the cross, it says, for the joy that was ahead of him, he was continually thinking of the benefits for you and me and the kingdom that would come into this world. He was looking at the power of sin and selfishness being broken. He was looking at the Father's will being done. He was looking at people of every generation being saved and coming into the kingdom of God. He said, it's worth it. Pete, I know you want me to hang on here and just keep up this nice ministry. But he said, actually, I've got a bigger plan. The bigger plan is I go to the cross and afterwards you guys all do it. Oh, Lord, I don't like that plan. We don't want to lose you. Well, Peter, that's not how it's going to be because I'm surrendered to the kingdom of my Father. I've come not to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father. And so, Peter, you're going to have to let this go. You're going to have to deal with this issue in your life. And I wonder what area today that God wants you to deal with in your life, an area where there's self-centeredness, selfishness, agendas, where your life's gripped by fears, disappointments, failures, griefs. There's so many things that can hold us back and so we don't trust God, we try and preserve ourselves. But today as we take the bread and the cup, here, listen to this, listen to this. These are symbols to remind you and me of the extent of God's love and commitment to us. No one you know ever gave their life up for you, but Jesus did. As you take the bread and take the cup, let's remember now that God has demonstrated his love in providing everything we need. The only honorable response I could make is to yield my life to Him today. God, help me to deal with the principle of self-centeredness. Help me, Lord, to embrace that via the cross, the resurrection power of God will flow in my life. Lord, help me to deal with self-centered agendas, to not hold on to pains and griefs and disappointments and failures and try to protect myself, but to, Lord, bring them all to the cross and walk in the freedom and liberty that comes the other side. Let's just eat and drink together, shall we? like you to pray for the person next to you. God, to bless them, help them to break through to a greater realm of living. Let's pass the cups to the end. Let's just pray for one another now, just while the musicians play. You are loved by God. Loved so much. We don't have to be afraid or fearful. We can trust and meet every need. So, Lord, today we reach out with love and concern and faith to the person next to us to bless them, to pray with them and pray for them. And if you're not so good at praying and don't know how to pray, just ask the person next to you, could you pray for me?
Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I wonder just before we finish, if any person here is you're right at the, you're not a Christian yet, you've never given your life to Jesus, and, and you're right at that point in your life where you'd like to become a Christian, like to open your heart for Jesus to come into your life, forgive you and make you a new person on the inside. If you're at that place today and you've come here today, maybe your first or second time, you want to become a Christian, could you raise your hand up and just let me say, I'd love to just pray with you and, and bless you and pray God's presence come over your life. Is there any person here today that wants to become a Christian, wants to give their life to Christ? Just raise your hand, raise your hand wherever you are. Just raise your hand wherever you are. Any person wanted to come to Christ, just lift your hand up so we can see you. Well, just one last thing. As you finish the service today, there's a photo booth in the upper, upper room, straight upstairs out there. Go up and have your photo taken. Pull a face, smile. We need some photos of people for our brochures and, and uh, it'll be great to have your photo there too.